the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 109. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning. How are you, my friend? I'm buzzing. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great Not buzzed. Just buzzing. Not buzzed. No, same, same. We're, when this uh, releases, it'll be May 6th, so we will be right into the million days of May. We'll be on day yes. 100,000. <laughs> kicking it off. Yes. Yeah, May can be such a busy month. It's like the end of the school year, and but I got to tell you, so I'm like having a billion ideas that are just like waking me up in the middle of the night, and I need to like write them down. It's happening. Oh, the muse yeah. is here. She's here. She's, she's here, and she's like, pay attention. Yeah, my here too. Although she's kind of wacky, her suggestions have been sort of wacky lately. <laughs> um, I'll have to tell you about those offline sometime. But uh, yeah, I'm just like, really? That okay? All right. Yeah. Well, I hadn't considered that, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Big, big, big plans, big dreams, big shifts, all of that. Um, I'm winding down school. I'm super excited to be done with that. I'm writing a fascinating report on asparagus, Sandra. It's just fascinating. Asparagus? Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you get to the bottom of why it makes your pee smell after you eat it. I've heard that it's not the case for everyone. And actually, in my own experimentation with Mm -hmm. asparagus, uh, it doesn't happen every time. I am doing research right now on it is an aphrodisiac, Sandra. Really? Which is very surprising with the whole smelly pee thing. So it is very surprising. That seems counterintuitive, really, to me. Uh huh. And what turns Uh, me on. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Maybe because it's phallic looking. I don't know. But um, yeah, I don't know. I am watching The Handmaid's Tale. So maybe I'm just a little oversex or undersex or I don't know, something thinking about sex. Right. (laughs) And asparagus. But I figured that. We have to hear crop reports from the entire class. And do you know how boring that's probably going to be? Oh, so can be a little bit boring. So I'm trying to rev it up a little bit and make mine a little more interesting, you know, write about something that interests me. So yeah, sex and pee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can can say one more thing about asparagus. Have you ever seen it actually grow on the, on the bush or the thing on our property? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is actually interesting to me too, because it's like all that for like five little pieces of asparagus. I mean, what a show. I mean, for like, (laughs) you you barely get a meal's worth. (laughs) Oh no, but it's, it's regenerative though. So you, you I know. Oh yeah. (laughs) Right. But we, when we bought our house 12 years ago, there was an asparagus crop and it was 
so you could just eat it right off that you snap it off and it was so tender and you plant them in crowns you know there's little crowns of asparagus anyhow i'm learning i'm looking See, at all of that I don't, I don't know i just have one hippie friend that <laughs> has a huge one growing in her front yard and she yeah. just yeah I thought it was well i'm trying to make the most of it um because i like asparagus so yeah. my, my lab partner was like pick something that you like Right. I don't what do hate you like? asparagus. Right. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So um, I just have to make a bibliography, which, you know, when you're 48, you don't want to make a freaking bibliography. And oh, that I would rather. <laughs> mm, right? I wouldn't even go through the list of things that anything. I would rather do anything. than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's almost over, Sandra. It's almost over. Um, did you do anything fun this weekend? This weekend, what am I? Oh, oh, music. I went to, oh, I went to a, a fun party called Captains and Casseroles that my <laughs> my friend Jane throws these fabulous parties. She throws some good parties. Um, Captains and Casseroles. That's remarkable. That's a pretty good theme for a party, right? It is. Okay, so I know I saw it on Instagram, but for our listeners who did not see your fabulousness, right? How in the will, world did you narrow down your calf dance? It's gonna, it, it'll go away because I just put it in stories, and I don't think I'll go back and save it. It's not that interesting. But so, so I thought I only have one or two captains, and that is not true. I had a lot of captains because I had forgotten that I had some that were just in my studio that I bought when I, because I cannot resist a good, a good right. vintage captain. If I find one at a thrift store, it's under $10. And I had a few in my studio that I think I bought thinking, eh, maybe I'll, I don't know. Sometimes I like to shorten them and make them just like a mini thing that you would wear over a bathing suit. And so I had others that I had dug out of my, so long story short, I had a ton of captains, like nine, I guess, eight, uh -huh. something like that. And so I did a little, a little show, a little fashion show on Instagram because I could not decide which one to wear. Um, finally, yes, narrowed it down. I was leaning toward the one that I wore is the, is one, one that I was leaning toward. The other one that got, got the most votes was the other that I was leaning towards. I think it was the colors, you know, sort of yeah. definitely springy. Um, the one I chose, uh, really calling it a captain was really a stretch. It was, it was hot. It was not captain, but it was hot. It was so hot. You look so my, gorgeous. I love it. Friend, my friend who... Oh, so this party, like it's people that I've known for tw 20 to 30 years. So long time, as long as I've been in Austin and then some that I went to school with. So that was even before I came up to Austin. But my one friend told me, well, clearly you win. <laughs> yeah. Anybody <laughs> like, that is that picture that you That is win. great because I love to win. I love to <laughs> I love to be the winner, especially <laughs> at an event where you get to show up looking gorgeous with casserole in a Pyrex bowl or pan and um, winning at surprise. Yeah, winning. Yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. Because yeah. this was not, this was a drinking party for sure that I was enjoying my Topo Chico's, um, which, you know, we get to do mm -hmm. when, our, when we are feeling secure in our in our sobriety yeah. and um it was super fun and you know 
when we, after dinner was served and I had some tres leches cake, I had a lot of tres leches cake. <laughs> um, it was time to go. We left. Aww. Great. <laughs> and you woke up the next day feeling awesome or did you have yeah. a tres leche hangover? I had a bit of a tres leche hangover, but you know, I still popped right out of bed. Mm-hmm. I yeah. still popped we right can do out that. of bed. Yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> so great. It was great. Oh, so anyway, yes. Thank you, Jane, for your wonderfully themed party. And I think anyone really should feel free to steal that theme. I know that I, I, I think we should do one in <laughs> California too. When I sent you a message, I'm like, are you going to Aaron Shaw Street's neighborhood? Like where are you? Right. I know. Where is this caftan and casserole party? I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I had to tag her to get her attention. I'm like, you need to weigh on in this caftan thing. <laughs> I'm going to need your opinion. Did you see her Easter outfit? Yes. Lord. <sighs> Everybody, follow Erin Shaw Street. You will not be disappointed if you love vintage and thrifting and just her Southern loveliness because I just love her hat that she wore for Easter. And I know. She I know. I know. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so what um, else? What did you do? What are you, what do you have going on? Your studio is coming together. Studios coming together. Um, it was quite. It was a quiet weekend. My son turned sixteen last week, so we had a quiet oh, celebration. Yeah, it was nice. I got to spend the day with him Saturday shopping, which we never do together. So it was nice. Um, did you go see music though? I feel like you went to a concert. Oh, I saw Al Green this week. Yeah. How was that? So good. He only played about eight songs. Mm -hmm. um, and as we were leaving, this one. <laughs> sleeping next to us said she goes you know I figured that was about five dollars a minute but you know what it was worth it <laughs> that kind of summed it up that summed it up it was worth it it was worth uh, it but there was a great band that opened up for them from New Orleans called Tank and the Bangas and I will be traveling if I have to travel to New Orleans to see them again you'll see them I'd really love to see them in their element too. Uh, I would definitely go see them again. They were so good. Oh, so I watched good. the Tiny Desk concert because you posted a little link yes. in our Facebook group. And oh my gosh, that ponytail, that side ponytail oh, has in that. Oh my God. girl is bringing the style for sure. And she oh, yeah. was definitely bringing the style uh, at the show. And I think this week she was on, they were on Jimmy Fallon, which I haven't. Uh, um, I haven't watched that yet, but I'm going to. Thanks for reminding me. I need to write yeah. that down. Right <laughs> they were so good. Write this down. Put it on your list. Just yeah. what got work to do. Yeah. I watched I watched Brené Brown's special this weekend. Haven't watched that Courage. yet. Really good. And, sure. and she talks a lot about gratitude in there. I really appreciated that. I made some huh. notes. Um, and then I watched a really great documentary called I Am Maris. It's about being a young yogi. And... Um, she had an eating disorder and um, she's 15 and she did yoga teacher training and about her beautiful evolution um, since then. She's 20 now. And it was Aww. just, it wasn't very long, but it was just, I felt called to watch it. And it was about recovery, you know, Aww. recovering yourself. And so it was just really beautiful, really beautiful. Hmm. But that was how exciting my weekend was. I just uh, enjoyed the quiet and yeah, just the calm before the storm of May. So Hmm. Yeah. Um, I did launch my, I talked about it last week on the show, but I did launch my shine uh, five week program and I had someone sign up. So I'm very excited about that. Very exciting. 
And so it's still available. It's on my website at tammysalas.com. It's a five-week creative course. And you can follow me on Instagram. I, I've, I've written some info about it on my grid too, if you don't, at Tammy Salas. And for the show, I noticed on our Instagram, like I don't, I don't think we promote that very much. I'm not super active on our Instagram page other than I post the show there every week. Right. Um, but people can follow so you'll know who's going to be the guest that week. And that's at the Unruffled Podcast. Um, on Instagram. And it's just the show um, artwork and the show notes uh, that we, that we have so that you can kind of see what that, that week's episode's about. And there's a link to SoundCloud so that you can listen and download and find all the others. Right. What about and, you? Uh, the only thing I will promote, let's see, by the time this airs, um, my um, spring, uh, 30% off discount will be wrapped up. So I'm sorry if you missed out on that. I'll probably do another one in the summer. Um, but I, I talked about it last week, but I offer, I have offered a, a chance to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. It's called Change Your Story. Um, if you have a creative project that you want to bring forth from your womb, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And you would like um, a little accountability coach partner relationship? Um, I'm I'm your girl, and you can learn all about it on my site. Uh, the May session will have already started, but um, it will start again in June. Um, so, is it like a four week program? Or four, four week. Oh, great. Four so weeks. Yeah, so one so in May four, starts the sixth. Okay, starts today, right. The day that this airs. starts today, and um, so you will miss out on working with me in May. But if you want to sign up for June, um, that's available, and we'll start um, probably the first. I work with each person based on their schedule, but it would start like the first full week of June. So like the the starting June third, so that that full week, and we go for four weeks. Excellent. Oh, I love yep. what you're doing. I can't wait to hear. Yeah, more. me too. Me too. I hope that I'm sure as with everything that we do, I will learn just as much about me and my teaching and guiding abilities. And who knows, you know, maybe I will turn it into um, a program like a group program at some point. But mm -hmm. this is good learning experience for me as well. So um, but I know how to I know how to bring a project forth. So. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. We both do. We we do not yeah. suck at that. We do not no. suck. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We do not suck at accountability projects or getting shit done. That's not. Right. That's not where we lack. Um, well, good. I'm excited for you, and I, and the people that are going to work with you are going to be very lucky. Yeah. I'm excited oh. for both of us. So, All right. Should we jump in? Tell who our guest is. We should. We should. Probably get um, to that. Yeah, yeah, because so, we do have a guest today, and she's a lovely guest, and her name is Emily Cornell, and I will tell you a little bit about Emily. She never expected to be an expat. The last two years have been ones of seismic change for her. She reconnected with her college sweetheart, quit an 11-year career in advertising, got married, and moved abroad. To stay grounded, even before she left the United States, she started leaning into creative play by signing up for the Recovery Gals Art Exchange, which is mine and Tammy's 
little baby. <laughs> um, she was amazed at how creativity supported her recovery and vice versa. Emily is learning to claim sober and writer as part of her public identity and is sharing her story beyond her circle for the first time. On her blog, uh, Unexpected Expat, she muses about her everyday expat experience living intentionally and her adventures near and far. Yeah, and Emily, uh, we get to this at the end of the podcast, but Emily has been part of our community and in our secret Facebook group, and she applied for a scholarship to write Dobe, where I taught at last month, and that's where I got to meet her in person, and we get into all of that at the very end of the podcast, so I hope that you'll listen all the way through, and um, it was just, it's always a delight to meet somebody in person, and talking with her today after we, after we did the interview, I just realized how much Emily stays in solution and how mm. her, her recovery has been um, driving her towards finding a solution, which is so beautiful to hear about. And I hope that it's really inspiring to our listeners. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, and you can find Emily on Instagram at E.C. Cornell. Yeah. Great. All right. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, Emily. Good morning. Good morning, Emily. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I bet. Tell, tell well, I bet. <laughs> I, bet. <laughs> I bet you are. I bet you're super excited. I am. I am. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you tell it's morning again, Sandra? We were just talking about that. <laughs> can you tell our listeners where we are chatting to you from, where you're at? Yeah, so I am sitting in my home, which is on the um, outskirts of Brussels, Belgium. Um, and I, as you can maybe tell from my accent, I'm not Belgian. Um, <laughs> I'm, an, <laughs> I'm an American living here um, with my husband. I've been here for about a year. I joined him. He had already been here. Um, and he's, we're here because he's currently serving um, at the U.S. Embassy. He's a foreign service officer. So this is the first of many homes around the world that hopefully we'll have. Wow. That's so, I can't, I'm going to, we're going to let you tell your sobriety story first, but I really want to talk about being an expat because it sounds so seductive, but I'm sure it's not as glamorous <laughs> as I have it being in my head. It's probably a nice mix. It is a nice mix of a little bit of glamour and a little bit of just every day. <laughs> Right. I can't wait to hear about it. Okay. Well, Emily. Jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us um, how you came to give up alcohol. Yeah. So I think like most of us, um, I, you know, I think if I, if I were to look back at sort of my origin story, I think that my relationship with alcohol has always been tricky, um, you know, and, but it didn't really get really tricky until a couple of years ago, actually, um, I was, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I drank, I wouldn't say normally, probably more than most in high school and college, um, but it was passable, right? Like it, you know, there were a couple of moments of, of concern and um, I even at one point in high school said to my mom, I think I might have a problem, but we kind of just shook it off and, and you know, moved forward. There were other things to think about. Um, and, and in college, I partied really hard my first semester and uh, landed with a 1.37 GPA, and then, um, which is, you know, 
It's yeah. actually not that easy to get. I was just going to say, you had to work pretty hard for that or not. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did have to work very hard for that. Yeah. Um, and I got a letter from the dean that said, you know, Miss Cornell, we would like we'd like to invite you to get your act together or we'd like to invite you to leave. Um, you know, and this is saying a lot because I, I went to the University of Colorado, Colorado at Boulder. Oh, <laughs> so, oh yeah, you know, that is saying a lot. <laughs> you know, it's a party school. Um, you know, You're and just doing your part, right? I was, I was, but it, but that letter scared me. And so yeah. I spent the next, I spent the next couple of years, you know, I, I didn't have any other choices. I was, um, there was no safety net for me and my family. My mom's a single mom or was at the time. And I really basically had to get my act together. And so I did. And so I really focused on school and kind of buttoned things up really tightly. Like, I think my senior year, I can maybe count on one hand the number of times I went out to the bars. Um, you know, and into my 20s, it was kind of the same thing. It was, um, I briefly attended law school. I dropped out because um, it wasn't the right fit for me. And then I got into advertising um, in my 20s. And it, it was this combination of, of work hard, play hard. Um, but I really think that my working hard and sort of my desire to climb upwards and my desire to keep things um, sort of normal and my desire to, I, I mean, truly, it was my workaholism. My workaholism kept my alcoholism at bay. Um, and then when I did let my hair down, you know, I was working in advertising. So I, I just thought that I was normal, just like everybody else. Cause right. there's a lot of, there's a lot of drinking in that industry. Um, and so it wasn't until my early thirties. So in the fall of 2014, um, to kind of set the stage, this was where things started, started going downhill quickly. Um, so let's see, 2014, I would have been, on my way to 32, so I was 31, um, and I was living with a man who I'd moved in pretty quickly with, um, and it became pretty apparent very quickly that maybe that wasn't the brightest choice. Um, and at the same time, my brother was dealing with some pretty um, life-threatening, uh, really scary thing, and uh, an illness, and um, in Thanksgiving, right around Thanksgiving of that year, so fall of 2014, um, he ended up in the hospital, and my answer to that was to just go off the rails and, you know, comfort myself in Jack Daniels, which was funny because Jack Daniels really wasn't my my thing at the time. It was it was more wine, <laughs> um, but I I really went off the rails, and it and it really continued, um, kind of through that winter and into that spring. And in that spring, I remember very distinctly having these moments of like, of awareness, right? Just glimmers of awareness where I'd be driving home and I'd, and I'd sort of get that itch, you know, the driving home itch at like five or six o'clock at night when you think about pulling off. And if you just make it to the top of the exit ramp, then you can get to the liquor store and then there's going to be a relief. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, and I catch myself every now and then having those thoughts and I, and I go, well, mm, maybe that's, that's not good. But then I'd push them away. Right. Because at the same time as I was having awareness, the de denial was amping up pretty hardcore. Um, and it, there was one, one moment that spring, so the spring of 2015, where I remembered looking 
at sort of the leftover wine bottles from the night before and there was maybe a glass left. And I was on my way to work or, you know, getting ready for work. And I, I thought to myself, God, I wish it was socially acceptable to drink in the morning. And then the immediate next thought I had was, well, but that's what an alcoholic would say. And I'm not an alcoholic and kind of pushed it down. Right. So I'd have this like tug and pull, you know, tug and tug of war between knowing something was not right. And then also um, pushing it down. Right. And I even went so far that spring. um, I have a family member who is in recovery and I reached out to her and I asked her if I could have coffee and just, you know, if she would be willing to share her story. And she graciously did. And, um, you know, she shared her story with me and, you know, said that she'd always be available if I, if I, you know, wanted to go to a 12 step meeting or whatever. Um, and I, you know, I thanked her for her time, but I was like, well, you know, her story is very different than mine. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I found rather than looking for the similarities, I looked for all the differences, all the ways that, that all the proof that I was still normal in comparison to what she had shared with me. Mm. Which is um, what we do. We all do that no matter where we are. Spectrum. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so things kind of progressed and, and that was probably March or April or maybe even early May of that year. Um, so, so we're in 2015 now, I'm 32 years old. And, um, and then it was just a couple, well, it was early July. So on July 10th, I went to a party with my, my then boyfriend and I just got stupid blackout drunk and, and made some regrettable remarks, right? I didn't behave the way that I would, um, that I certainly would want to now or even wanted to then. Um, and it kind of came to a head. And, you know, we fought all the way home and he basically was like, you need to do something. And I woke up, you know, that the next morning, like there had been plenty of moments of waking up in total anxiety and total shame. It certainly wasn't the first time, but something was a little bit different that time. And I was like, and I don't know if it was a combination of, of feeling like I was, you know, going to potentially lose this relationship, which I wasn't even sure I wanted. Um, or if it was like the jig is up, I I don't know, but I ended up, um, finding a a meeting to go to that night. And I spent the next two weeks attending a couple of meetings and really, um, you know, trying to hold it together. And then he went out of town for a weekend and all bets were off. I, um, you know, the couple of bottles of wine that I had been saving in the basement that I'd gotten on a trip in Washington, um, Washington state, you know, where there's, there's good wineries. And I had bought a couple of nice bottles that I was going to sell her. Um, but I was never very good at keeping the bottles that I was going to sell her. (laughs) You know, know (laughs) mine were countered. They were on the counter. (laughs) Right. Mine were closeted. Yeah, they were just closeted in linen. So I could hide them, but they're accessible. I can't tell you how many bottles of wine were purchased, you know, that were that were gonna be saved until they really got good and just just didn't. Like alcohol never lasted. (laughs) Emily, I had a wine bar and I never had any wine. 
I owned a wine, right. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bottles. There was nothing to be cellared. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. that was, that was a dangerous combination, but I understand. I understand. Yeah. So, you know, there's this weekend that I'm sitting in our townhouse, his townhouse. I lived, I moved into his townhouse. I'm sitting in this townhouse and I'm, um, you know, and I'm sitting there drinking, I'm drinking at him. I'm drinking at the world. I'm drinking at everything. And I got loaded and just, you know, it sent, it kind of, you know, started the text barrage, right. Of, of all the nasty mean things that, that really were not deserved. And, Mm. you know, but I, I could be a real jerk when I was drinking. Um, the, the tongue came out and I, you know, all of my hurt and pain from, you know, from the entirety of my life could come out when I was, when I was like that. Um, you know, when I woke up the next morning and I knew I was in trouble and I knew I was in trouble with him, but I knew I was in trouble with myself. Um, and I actually, I had a baby shower to go to that morning and I, I went, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of baby showers to begin with. I, I love, I love babies and I love people who have babies, but they're, they're just hard for me. Mm -hmm. They're hard for everybody, um, I think. Probably, (laughs) probably. So I went to this, I went to this baby shower and I was looking at my dear friend and, and her joy and all the people around her able to celebrate and feeling like, God, I'm, I'm such a fraud. I'm such a fraud. I'm such a loser. I'm not where I want to be in my career. I'm not where I want to be in my, you know, in my relationships, in my, you know, in my relationship to my family. Um, and, and things are not going the way I thought they would go. Um, and so I picked up the phone that afternoon and I called a treatment center and they do an intake, you know, and I, I had no idea kind of what to expect or some of the questions. And as they were asking me the questions, I was convinced, I was like, yep, they're going to tell me like, I don't really have that big of a problem. Like that I'm, that I'm not a candidate for their program. Mm, <laughs> you know? Right. Cause the, the denial, you know, is strong. I, I mean, I knew, but I also, you know, and to my shock and awe at, at the end of the conversation, she said, well, um, we're, we're going to, we're going to see if we can find you a spot and, um, and we're going to, we're going to get you started. Hmm. And, and a couple of days later I found myself, um, I did an intensive outpatient program and I found myself, um, sitting, in a room with other folks who most of them in the program um, had come there of their own volition or because their, their families wanted to be there, wanted them to be there. Um, And I, and I remember just sort of thinking, how on earth did I get here? Um, And so that, that program lasted for about four months. Oh, and the other piece of it is, is that my, my then boyfriend, um, before he came back from his trip, he asked me to not, um, to not be at the house when he got back. Mm. And so, um, I have a, my, my best friend, um, one of my best, best, best friends. I, I don't know that I will ever be able to repay her and her husband for their graciousness that they gave me a bedroom in their house and said, you can stay as long as you need to. Mm. Um, this is so you know, much, just, Emily, this is so much, <laughs> right? It, it was. I mean, I was, I was so, 
I was so deflated at this point. I was so, I was so glad to have a soft spot to land um, because uh, my mom was on the other side of the country. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have really family. I was living in Minneapolis at the time and um, didn't have family to, to stay with. And, um, you know, for my friends to take me in like that, but it was, it was heartbreaking. I mean, I can't describe that time as anything other than absolutely heartbreaking. And I was filled with a lot of shame. I mean, you know, yeah. the, the outpatient program, we really worked on things like understanding our core values and, um, you know, coping mechanisms and things like that. But there was still, it was still completely just wrapped up in shame for me, um, yeah. you know, and, and really feeling like I was defective. When, well, when, and losing, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to no, say go losing your relationship too at the same time. It was probably just all the proof you needed, right? That you were, you know, whatever story you were telling yourself that you were. Oh, absolutely. And you know what I had, I had close friends and I had, had a couple of close friends, although um, my world had gotten pretty small between, you know, being a workaholic and then, you know, sort of as I look back, realizing that the drinking had amped up, you know, to this point. Um, there just, there were, the people who stayed with me through that time were the people who really, really, really loved me unconditionally. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm happy to say they're all still in my life. Um, yeah. But I, let's see, so this would have been Jul end of July through... I, you know, I graduated from that program um, in November. And it's, it's funny because I thought I was this like star pupil, right? I did all the homework. I did all the things. I went to every session. Um, but I had the opportunity to relatively recently to read my discharge notes. And I was kind of surprised. I mean, not really, but a little surprised to see that my counselor, um, you know, my caseworker, it didn't have high hopes for me um, to, to stay sober mm. and to not relapse because, because I, what I was doing, what I was really good at was like checking the boxes and, and hitting all the lines. But what I really hadn't seemed to internalize is sort of that, that inner shift. Right. Yeah. Um, well, checking the boxes, being the perfect student, I identify with this very much. So it, were you doing 12 step while you were in the treatment program? Was that part of it like required? I, I had a lot of reasons why I, it wasn't required. It was highly suggested right. and I'd go to just enough to check off the box. <laughs> right. But you weren't all in. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It wasn't for me. Um, the only it, at the time, at the time. <laughs> the only reason I asked that is because, um, knowing my personality type now and kind of seeing, um, how I operate. And like when someone had suggested it to me, knowing me, with my Virgo-ness and my follow the, you know, follow the rules. Like she was like, I think a 12 step program is going to totally speak to you um, and your personality type. And I didn't know what that mm -hmm. meant at the time. And it slowly mm -hmm. has worked me over the years, you know, and I've come to realize like, Oh, that's, yeah, that's true. But I was just curious if you were checking those boxes, but you were just doing it enough to get by. You were just like, doing yeah. it. I'm going to get out of here. So that's probably why she didn't have, not that, not that the 12 step is the answer, but that you were just checking it to move on. I was, and I was over intellectualizing things. Mm -hmm. um, like a perfect example of that was um, I would spend, you know, a not, 
not insignificant amount of time, um, trying to find medical journal articles or things like that, you know, proof that, um, that if I could just fix what was like underneath it all, like the trauma and stuff like that, that, that that was the real issue, <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, so I, I stayed abstinent um, from July, end of July of 2015 all the way through to um, June of 2016. So I, I, I didn't drink for 11 months. But um, in like February-ish, maybe January-ish of 2016, I, I stopped. I stopped going to any meetings. I stopped, you know, I just, I just didn't drink. I wasn't doing anything to sort of, to really, you know, build a spiritual program or, or do anything other than just not drink. Right. And wouldn't you know um, that it's an easy, at least for me, it was an easy way for me to go to really rationalize and to go, well, my real problem is, is sort of underlying trauma. You know, my, my parents divorced, which was heartbreaking when I was younger. Um, I'm the child, child, I'm a child witness to domestic violence. Um, and so there was just, there was plenty of stuff that, you know, that the problem wasn't that I was an alcoholic. <laughs> so, right. Right. Which, you know, that is actually the solution to most things, right? It's because you can figure out, and now I'm just um, analyzing your recovery here, but, but this is how, <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I think we all, we all go through this, like, you know, because we are smart people. We do want to yep. intellectualize everything. And to get to the bottom of it is all well and good, but it's our, it's our, it's, it's how we cope with those things. And, yeah. and if alcohol and alcohol is often the solution to cope with those things, it's our coping mechanism. It's our, our self-medication. And so it's yep. just, the, it's the symptom instead of, yeah. you know, it becomes the problem, but <laughs> it's the symptom to the prop of, of the, of the problems. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what it was for me. And um, so in the, in the summer of 2016, I was at an airport at, in an airport restaurant um, with a colleague of mine ready to get on an airplane. And um, it was funny because he, he knew me as somebody who didn't drink and I thought real hard about it. And then I ordered a glass of wine um, and you know, you said something a couple of weeks ago, something about, um, uh, having more drinks left in me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I think, I think that's, you know, it, it's true. I, I had more drinks left in me to, to get to a place of total surrender. And so I, you know, and I was able to moderate for a little while, you know, but, but the moderation or the you know, fully over time, over the course of that summer and into that fall, it, it wasn't working that well. Um, it's certainly not fun. It's never fun. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, it was fun until it wasn't fun. And in, in the fall of 2016, it had very quickly again become not fun and just, oh, you know, the self-loathing and the for me, it was, it was killing my spirit. Um, and, and then there was this weird thing for me. I don't, I'm, I'm sure other people have had it, but I kind of get into this thing where I do too much, right? Like I would, 
spend too much. I would drink too much. I would, you know, go out too much. And, and I call it too muching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was. December, November of 2016 and early December of 2016, I was too muching. Um, and just really not, I mean, I knew it, right? Like I, I'd already, the mirror had already been held up to me. So I knew it as it was happening. And there was this one particularly, I don't think there was anything special about that night. I was out on a date with a guy who, you know, looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, lovely gentleman, just not the right guy for me, not the right time. Um, all sorts of reasons why not. And, and I, I got really, it was my last drunk. I got really drunk. Mm. Um, and you know, and I was smart enough to leave my car downtown, thank goodness. Um, and I, I got in, you know, I called an Uber to get myself back to my apartment and I mean, I laugh about it now, but like, how pathetic is this? I'm on my way. I'm, you know, on my way back from a date. I look all cute and whatever, but I'm like drunk. And somehow I get to speaking with the cab driver who is um, a Muslim gentleman. And, and at the end of it, as he's, as he's dropping me off in my apartment, I ask him if he'll pray for me. (laughs) Like who does that? Who does that? Right. You know what? Someone in pain. yeah. Yeah. And somebody who didn't want to want to keep doing things the way I was doing them. And he did. He, he made a lovely prayer. I don't remember much of it. I remember that he did. And I got myself safely into my apartment and up to bed and I woke up the next morning and it was, it was that surrender I needed. It was that moment of like, hands up. I will do, I will do what I need to do. I can't keep going on like this. I'm, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm willing. Mm. Um, and I was so thankful to be living, um, the, the Twin Cities area, Minneapolis, St. Paul has a beautiful recovery community. That's, um, pretty well known. Um, and there's something like 600 meetings a week, um, in St. Paul alone. (laughs) Yeah. And so I was able to find to find a recovery meeting literally within stumbling distance of my house, which was good because my car was still downtown and I was in probably no shape to drive. Yeah. And I walked in and there was this, you know, beautiful group of women who, who had what I wanted. Um, you know, I was a hot mess and, and they looked at me and, and let me into their circle. Yeah. They were going to love you until you could love yourself. Yeah. And they were going to give me some suggestions and let me, <laughs> let me know, <laughs> let me know how it be. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I found a woman who was willing to um, kind of take me under her wing. And, and I remember meeting with her and being a little bit terrified because she was very serious. And she said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Yeah. And I thought for a second. And I was like, yes. And she's like, okay, here we go. Right. And I think we get this willingness when we get that gift of desperation. You know, the first, the first time I heard that phrase, the gift of desperation, I was just like, fuck you guys. <laughs> right. No gift. Thank you very much. What are y'all talking about? But, but now I get it. 
Now I get it. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite gifts now. Because <laughs> when I get to right? that point of like, of surrendering my own will, that's, you know, sometimes the miracles happen before then, but almost always the miracles Not, happen when right. I get to that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's got to get to, yeah, that, that I remembered, um, hearing that too, Sandra. And I just figured out recently that that's an acronym for God. How did I not know that this whole time? Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Um, but I just, you're right. You have to, I mean, not you have to, but I had to get, I think is morally kind of just down on myself and, and I felt bankrupt. Um, I think you said earlier, um, Emily about, um, you know, breaking your own heart, right? I think maybe you yeah. were breaking your own heart and it feels like when we finally, have done that or when we get there, when we can admit that, like that we've just left ourselves so many times by drinking the way we do, um, at least yeah. for me, that I was just, I, I was just the shell of a person when I finally got to the rooms. And um, it was a relief to be willing. I think my co-sponsor always asked, or asked me, and now I ask my sponsees, like, are you willing to go to any lengths? Right. Because that's to what it says sober. to you in the big book. Yeah. 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 And, and the, and the thing is too, you know, you, before I had my own gift of desperation, I thought that desperation would be circumstances. Like, you know, of course you're going to feel desperate if you're in a jail cell or you're going to feel desperate if you total your car or if your kids are threatened to be taken away. But circumstances often outside circumstances often have nothing to do with getting sober or having that final day one. It's all yeah. internal. That gift of desperation is your own personal bottom Yeah, where you are, you're miserable and you're at the end of the road and there's no way, nowhere else to go. It's a feeling. Yeah, it, it was for me. You know, I, I, um, I was definitely, I was spiritually broken. Um, I, my social circle had gotten pretty small. Um, you know, I had a good job. I had a car. I had, I, I had a lot of things that, um, you know, that on the surface looked like I had my act together. Um, but, and I have a lot of not yet's in my story, right? Like if I had kept on, what would it have looked like? Um, but, but my soul was broken. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I did what people suggested and there's a, there's a saying that I, that I heard that just really hit home. It was like, um, chop wood, carry water. And what that meant that, you know, just the, just to do, do the easy, simple, simple chores and tasks and things. And it's so, it's so ironic because I, I had been on this like quest, right? Of, of thinking about, I, I, I was almost ready to be done with advertising. Um, cause it's, you know, there were, there were things about the industry that I loved and things that I didn't. Um, but it was a really easy place for me to hide my alcohol problem and my workaholism problem. And I had been lamenting for like a while that I just wanted an honest job. And I had this like idea of what that looked like, you know, and it was probably going to be on a farm somewhere. Um, <laughs> so somebody said, well, you just need to chop wood and carry water in those, in those early couple of months for me. And that was the work I did, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. To keep it super simple. Right. Mm -hmm. 
just need mm-hmm. to keep ourselves uh, fed and get some sleep. And for me, it was long, hot showers, like keep it super and go to, and go to meetings. Um, yep. if, if that's what you're doing or do whatever the thing is that is tethering you, um, to your higher power, I think, you know, and, and for me, like that was so hard because I didn't think I believed in God or the concept of God. And I like to over intellectualize it and overthink it and debate it. But in the end, like, just like you said, chop wood, carry water, um, suspending my disbelief helped me get sober. Like just yeah. suspending my disbelief in a higher power or that there was a power greater than me. Cause I just thought I was all that and bag of chips. Like I had to suspend it. And, um, it felt like a relief, you know, just to do that. Yeah, and there was, it, that was, it was, there was such a relief and like that I knew that like, for me, it was about, you know, going to my day job, but then it was about getting to a recovery meeting every day for 90 days. <laughs> um, you know, so and, you and to do, I did, yeah. I really, I, I did. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have perfect attendance, but I, I got pretty close. <laughs> um, and I had work travel in there. So it was about finding a meeting in, in different communities and finding a way to, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really out there with my, with my colleagues. So I would just sneak off in the morning, <laughs> get, a, get a taxi where I needed to go. Do you um, think that was really powerful, Emily? Cause I, I didn't do 90, 90 cause I didn't go into the rooms until I was about seven months. Um, and so my sponsor didn't recommend it for me because I'd already been sober for seven months. But do you think mm-hmm. that that was important and pivotal for you? It absolutely was. Yeah. It, it, um, it anchored me and it gave me, and, and more than that, you know, I've heard it said that self-esteem comes from esteemable acts. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, there was this sense of like, you know, if nothing else, I, I accomplished this. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, over the course of three months, 90 days, you know, I was transforming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, my relationship with my, with my higher power, which I choose to call God, um, had been, I was convinced that God had given up on me. Um, you know, I've always believed, always believed in God as long as I can remember. Um, my mom's actually a minister. Um, so of course there's complications there, you know, but, um, but I was able to sort of start getting connected again to, to my higher power, to other people. Um, you know, and I, I fell in with this really beautiful group of, of women and some men too, but they're, um, in St. Paul, there's, there's folks meeting at six 30 every morning. And that, those were the meetings that I could get to with my work schedule. And so I did. So, yeah. you know, they were early, but I did something for myself, you know, and for my recovery first thing every morning for mm-hmm. a long time. Well, and you kept your word to yourself, which you're right. I did. That's your esteemable act that builds yeah. self-esteem. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid-show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced almost two years' worth of content and have over half a million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing and appreciate our weekly consistency, you can be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to patreon.com backslash the Unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Well, for the 90 and 90, what I f- or find so fascinating about it, um, 
because it is like a big ask for a sponsor to say like, you need to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I, I know people can balk at that, but, but the people that do it, um, you're getting at least like probably hearing 10 shares at a meeting times 90 meetings, right? So you're, you're hearing 900 shares of yeah. people who are, you're going to find a story in there. I see why they do it, why they recommend it. You're going to find a story or two, or maybe even more that you resonate with or that resonates with you. And you're going to find a person to connect to most likely. And you're probably going to go have coffee with someone or talk or ask some questions, you know, by just doing that. Um, so yeah, I can see, I, I don't make my sponsees or I don't suggest that my sponsees um, do it because that's not what I did. Um, but I can see why it's really um, powerful. It, yeah. it was, I think the other piece was, you know, to find ways to be of service. I, you know, very quickly on, cause you know, I got my, my sober anniversary is right before Christmas and I was flying home. I, um, I was flying to Washington state to, to see my mom over Christmas. And I was only, you know, two weeks sober at the time. And one of the ladies suggested to me that I use that as an opportunity to look for ways to be of service. And she said, you know, if you ever get, if you ever get stressed or feel like, you know, you're, you're a little on edge or whatever, you know, she's like, there's always dishes to wash. That's exactly what I was going to say. And that's exactly what my sponsor told me too. When my first, yeah, my first, uh, whatever holiday, she was like, just, just stay of service. Ask what you can bring to the situation. It's usually doing dishes. <laughs> you're so right. You're so yeah. smart. <laughs> dishes are such a powerful spiritual tool. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, and like, so I want to make sure we jump and get to some other things. So yeah. I appreciate you telling us your story. And, and I know that's going to be really helpful to a lot of our listeners. Um, but I know we kind of have to jump a bit because you got married here in between and moved to Brussels. Um, you started making art before you left the U.S. I know that. And you're part of the Recovery Gals Art Exchange. So Sober Wedding. Yeah. Sober Wedding in my living room. Um, we eloped to my living room. I love it. Love it. Simple. Just simple. Let's do this. <laughs> Coffee and pastries. A couple of my close friends, um, because Joe was already living here in Brussels, um, it just wasn't. It, it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to do a whole big hoopla. And so he was visiting me and we got married. What, what, when did you get married? So it was March of last year. So we've okay. been married just over a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. I love it. You know, I've said this before, maybe on the podcast, I'm not sure, but I have photographed and or, and or worked at hundreds of weddings and the best weddings I'm sorry, everybody, but it's true. The best weddings are the small elopement, less fussy, DIY, just simple weddings. Those are the ones that always make me sob because it's about the couple. It's about the the union. It's not about the pomp and circumstance. My only regret is that I was crying so hard through all of it, you know, we're telling our vows and things that I, my friend who's a talented photographer was taking photos and afterwards she's like, um, there's no good ones. You just had cry face. (laughs) (laughs) An ugly cry face. But she got a lot of those. So that's good to have. (laughs) But so I think it's pretty, I mean, I know we're kind of glossing over your courtship and stuff, but 
you, the promises, the ninth step promises, like I was reading those on Friday and I started sobbing while I was reading them in my meeting, but the things that are coming true, right? Once you get sober and the things that you can have in your life and the finding love or a job that satisfies or economic security or all of these things that are promised, like when they start happening, it's amazing. It's this beautiful proof that like, this is working. Yeah. And so I actually reconnected with and married the, the boy who had always been the one. Mm. Um, he was my college, he was my college sweetheart and we, we reconnected. Um, and, and then the courtship moved pretty quickly. Um, because what was old was new again, but you know, my, my world literally expanded because I got sober and was in a good place to meet him. And then I moved across, you know, I moved across the ocean. Um, so and, and I was, know. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, how, go, ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> the worst host. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, the, the, my, my story, there's lots of stories around my story, but my story is a recovery story because that is the keystone without, without that, nothing else happens, you know, but it's, um, it's true. Well, how did you, so moving abroad, so, I mean, you weren't like, you know, when we're drinking, they have the phrase, the geographic, right? Like we pull these geographic mm-hmm. cures when we move places mm-hmm. and try to think our drinking is differently, but you're making a physical geographic and you're sober. So that has to be a whole new thing to set up abroad. How did you, can you share with us, you know, an example or something of how you tried to tap into the recovery community once you moved to Brussels and, and was that difficult or was that easy? It, well, it's been, it's, I've had to recreate what my recovery looks like um, or how I, how I work at my recovery here. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting because um, it's, as part of the um, clearance for me to come to join him, I, I had to um, let the medical board know about my treatment and about things like that. So I actually had to come up with a, an actual plan um, that I spoke with a, with a doctor about before I moved around what I was going to do. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, I, you know, what, what it looks for me like now, um, I have not, I've not found in the English speaking community, um, the, I haven't yet found uh, recovery meetings that work for me. Um, I have tried quite a bit, but it's, um, and I'm my French or my Dutch are just not good enough to, to try. Although, and I might try a French meeting. We'll see how it goes. Um, but what that meant is that I really had to lean into, into what's available online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'd already been a member of, of um, our secret Facebook group. And, um, and, and I carried with and sort of stayed in, in half touch with a couple of folks from back from St. Paul. Um, but for the first couple of months here, I I'll be honest that I, I, you know, I did my meditations and I, and things like that, but I kind of just let the busyness of, of adjusting to, you know, my new marriage and my new home and all of that kind of be my focus. And then it was last fall, Thanksgiving, I woke up the day after Thanksgiving and to a Facebook message that um, one of my, one of my best recovery friends, um, who I met when I was first first getting sober for the second time um, had died from from alcohol related 
um, issues. Mm. And, and that really shook me. It rocked me. Um, you know, and, and it really was a wake up call of like, you can't ignore this. You can't pretend that, that you, because for a while I was like, "Mm, I just don't drink. Like I don't drink. Um, but I, I couldn't ignore that it was deeper than that, that I had to be working for me. I have to be working a spiritual program. I have to be working on enhancing and growing my connection to my higher power and to other women and women, especially in recovery men too, but but really staying connected and kind of, as they say, you know, staying in the center of the boat. Um, And I think it was just a couple, couple of weeks later that, you know, in our, in our um, Facebook group, I asked anybody if they'd be willing to do virtual coffee dates. And um, yeah, because I just was really craving like live connection, right? The, The posting and all of that and the art exchange is, is so huge, but, um, but it's not in real time. And, right. um, there's a woman who lives over here in Europe as well. And she sort of raised her hand and we had this, um, surprisingly unawkward first blind date over Skype. <laughs> I love it. I love those blind dates. And, that's good. And, um, and that's something that for the last couple of months has been a hallmark of my week. We, we spend an hour, an hour together. We talk about, um, about creative pursuits. We talk about, um, living an alcohol free life and what that looks like and, you know, all of it that goes with it. And we've, I, you know, we've really become friends, which is funny because, you know, she's, she's one of my internet friends. Um, but that's what's so great about this recovering in this day and age right now. Like that, so much has happened just in the four years that I've been in recovery. And Sandra's been, Sandra, you're approaching six, right? Five. Oh, five. You're approaching five. I'm giving you more time. Sorry about that. Um, but like so much has just transformed in four or five years. And the connections and the way that we have access and these secret Facebook groups, which if our listeners um, are curious about that, it's no secret. Um, you can join our, our secret Facebook group, but it's um, not searchable on Facebook. So you would have to friend Sandra or myself and ask us to be added and we would gladly add you. And we have about 700 women there um, who share and, and support one another and share their recovery stories and also their creative pursuits. So I'm so glad that you guys met and connected. And Emily, you did the Recovery Gals Art Exchange. Was it last year? Or when was yeah, your first my, one? My first one was, was the spring. Let's see, is it equinoxes in the spring or solstice? No, solstice. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> like, which is which? Uh-huh. Yeah, I did the spring solstice in um, uh, 2017. So I have done, of the last four, I've done three. I took okay. a, I took a breather, um, during, during my move, but I've done three of them. Um, well, if people are and I'm actually, I just want yeah. to say real quick, if people are listening, that's the recovery gals art exchange that Sandra and I, um, kind of created for, for women in recovery who want to exchange with partners. And if you're interested in that, you can message us too, but Emily, you've been doing it and, uh, clearly you like it right oh it's, it's you know what it was it was I needed I needed an outside deadline to to actually give myself the permission and freedom to make some make some art um you know I, I'm more comfortable as a writer and this I wanted to create something that was 
tangible collage, something like that. Um, and I needed, I needed a deadline. I needed the accountability. And I got um, my first art exchange partner and I, we trade another thing that I do for my recovery here is we tra- trade um, video messages with each other over Instagram. <laughs> So a a year later, and we're still, we're still, um, you know, sending notes back and forth and supporting each other. And, um, and, you know, and it's just the, these exchanges for me have been, um, they, they've been huge. And when my friend died right after Thanksgiving this year, um, you know, I, I had a deadline coming up. I had an art partner and I, I, it was such a blessing to have that because I got myself to the art store in French. <laughs> you know, I found it on my own and got to it and did my transaction in French. Um, and I got my piece together and, and it, you know, it shook me out of, out of that really heavy grief to, to get outside of my body and create something for my partner um, and to work through some of my thoughts and feelings. Um, it's this, the exchange has given me so much more than I could have could have ever anticipated when I was like, yeah, that sounds like fun. Right. Sandra, how happy does this make you? It makes me so happy because you're right. It's not ever just the, the piece. You know, it, it's so much more than just the piece yeah. of oh, yeah. whatever is created. Yeah. And, and it, it goes way beyond that. I was, yeah, talk- I, I, I was talking to my art partner last night and, um, for the, for the summer solstice exchange. And she um, was like, well, how does it work? You know? And I was like, do it for you. You're sending it to me, but really my hope is that it helps you move through something. I hope it helps you uh, resolve something. I hope it, or, or it just brings you some joy to make something. I'm like, it's, I, I will be the recipient and I will love it. But I, but I'm, my hope is that you really enjoy the process of making it. And that it's pretty wide open. Well, and I went from having, because I, I had collaged when I was younger, but I really hadn't done much. But I kind of decoupaged, my first exchange, I decoupaged a box that, um, that became my piece. And, um, and now I have a collage bin. <laughs> you know? oh, so, so the exchange has, has now, I have a collage bin. In fact, yesterday I was, I was listening to the most recent episode because um, I get it on Sundays because I'm a, a patron. Um, and I, it's kind of my Sunday thing right now is that I, I listen to the episode. Um, I drink a good cup of tea or coffee and I play with collage and it's, it's just really something grounding. And, um, I have an office in the, in the lower level of our home and, um, my husband calls it my hobbit hole and he just knows (laughs) that, that I go in and, and I, I hobbit and he knows that when I go, there's a woman who goes in you know, to the, to the Sunday ritual, um, is a much better woman coming out. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, who knows that that's my time and it's, and it's my time working recovery and working creativity at the same time. Love yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that really just hits all the buttons for, you know, why we wanted to start the art exchange, because I think it, I think so many women in, you know, that find themselves in recovery, that are trying to fill that void, they don't think they're creative or whatever, or they haven't tapped into it. And since they were a little 
um, you know, whatever their story is, they just need uh, permission. They just need a, a little permission. Yeah. And so yeah. the exchange just gives, gives that, gives that permission and it can, yeah, they can open up a whole practice. I think it's also, Sandra, I was thinking when I was chatting with my friend yesterday, I was thinking like, it's also about being accountable. It's also about keeping your word. Like when you're signed up with these partners um, to communicate, to reach out to another woman in recovery, it's all these little tiny things that we practice, right? And I get to practice those in different ways in my life, but the exchange gives uh, me an opportunity to, to to do it with this focused intent that I'm not going to ghost my partner. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave it undone. If I can't follow through, like this is what I was mentioning. Like if if you can't follow through, communicate that, you know, reach out to another woman and say, I'm not able to do it. Or, um, you know, just to show up in my life differently than how I used to do it. Because I used to do yeah. that where I would flake out or I would say I'm going to do something and never do it. And then I have to hide from that person. Like, I think it also gives this other layer of recovery of showing like you can do it differently. And it's pretty safe because I think everyone who's participating would totally get it and understand. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk. I know I'm just the time is flying. And I just want to talk to you about um, uh, your writing. And I read, um, we posted in the group, um, Jen Ferber was on our show, a guest on our show earlier this year, and she's the founder of Write Dobe on Orcas Island. And um, she sent me a little link saying, hey, there's a scholarship for, uh, for someone, would you mind sharing it? And so I shared it in the Unruffled group, and that's really the only place I think I shared it. I didn't share it anywhere else. I just didn't. And um, you were selected as the scholarship recipient. And you're all the way in Brussels. I mean, there's so much to ask about this. So you wrote this beautiful letter that I saw that you wrote to Jen. I can see why she selected you. It's gorgeous. Um, But I'm curious, traveling all the way from, so for me to travel to Orcas Islands is like planes, trains, and automobiles. And um, (laughs) for you, I would imagine it's way bigger. And so you and I chatted before I know you like picked up sparkling water for me. You like, (laughs) we kind of were communicating. How did it feel traveling from Brussels to this little tiny island where you didn't really know anyone? I mean, how did that feel for you with your sobriety and and how sturdy you felt emotionally? Yeah, you know, um, so so traveling in airplanes, it's it's a fact of my life um, just Mm. because um, because of sort of the nature of, of our crazy lives. Um, but I, I've, I've learned how to get through traveling because it used to be that the airport was somewhere where I treated myself to wine. So I'm always, I'm always aware of the fact that, that airplanes or airports especially are, are places for me to continue practicing a different way. Um, so, you know, I was, I, I readied myself for that and just kind of thought about, and I always sort of visualize what it was like to have a quote unquote successful trip for me, which is, you know, not drinking any of the little bottles on the airplane. Um, but, but really I, I, from the get go, I really saw it as a pilgrimage. I don't know why. Um, but in my head, it felt like a pilgrimage. Um, and in my heart it did too. So just, I mean, physically, I left my house at 4 a.m. Brussels time, got in an Uber, flew from Brussels to Amsterdam, which is about a 40-ish minute trip. Um, 
and then a nine hour trip from Amsterdam to Seattle. And then you get out at Seattle and you drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did Two take hours a little breather. <laughs> well, I took a breather on Whidbey Island that night. I, I was, I stayed at a lovely bed and breakfast with, with farm animals. It was great. Um, but then I got onto the, um, onto the ferry at Anacortes. And it's funny because I was on the ferry taking a picture um, and a woman came up to me and said, are you going to a writer's conference? And sure enough, she was, um, she was going to the same conference I was. And as we got to talking, because the ride from, from Anacortes to Orcas is about an hour, as we got to talking, um, she shared with me that she was celebrating one year sober that day. Oh, wow. That's amazing. It was, I mean, so there was this, like, I mean, it was so easy for me to see because, because I am connected to mm-hmm. my higher power now. I was like, oh. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there it is. Oh. There it is. Oh, you'll have I mean, to I was share exhausted, with me. Yeah. But it was, it was, you know, it was this pilgrimage. And I, I saw it as that the whole, the whole time I was traveling, um, and then to spend the time there, I really think of that time as being, I mean, it certainly wasn't a, a religious or spiritual retreat, and yet it was, I mean, it was so spiritual. Totally, totally. <laughs> but I was, I think of that time that we spent there as being really cloistered in creative community. Well, um, you're with people, like you get to sleep, but you're with people the whole time. And so I was oh, a yeah. concerned about that. Um, but because sometimes- and apparently there was a- tr- Apparently there was a time when you were sleeping with people as well, right? I loved that part of the story when Jim told yeah. Oh, oh yeah. How it, shared how beds. It, she, yeah. She, she expounded on that at the retreat saying like, you know, when we first did this, we thought that was really clever, like a surprise, <laughs> but very quickly. Cause she's done is, was this the 14th one, Emily? I think it was. Yeah, it was the 14th. But after the second one, which is where I went, they, that all bets were off. They weren't doing right. it. Right. Nobody, nobody, no one wanted to sign back up for it. <laughs> like, I want to share a bed. No, huh. You need some personal space. Well, but, at but, some point. Yeah. But what it, so I'm curious, what was one of, do you have a favorite, um, exercise or teacher or a part that, that stuck out to you? I mean, I know there's a ton, there were so many. Oh, so much. You know, there was a couple of things. Um, there's a wonderfully amazing musician named Lee Bob, um, and his band is Lee Bob and the Truth. And, um, he t- taught a session on songwriting and, I asked him afterwards, I, you know, cause like I got a chorus. It was, a, it was a difficult, some people, some people came banged out songs and they oh, were yeah. beautiful. And, and I came up with like a four line chorus and that was the best I could get. And I thought it, you know, I asked him afterwards, I was like, well, I'm a little worried. This is kind of trite. And he was like, not everything needs to be profound. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and I right. was like, Oh, Oh, preach. You know, and he's this, <laughs> he's this chancel soul of a man who when, when he plays, he is like a lightning rod for, I mean, I liken it, his, his playing is like listening to ecstatic dancing. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Um, and so he really touched me, but there just, there were, oh, there were so, so many moments. Um, and I've got a whole notebook full of things. Um, yeah, he made a great big impact on me and I kind of fell in love with him because he was amazing and <clears throat> sober as well. And, um, yeah. he really was this kind of 
between you and him to tether me and Jen, like knowing who the sober people in the room were, were was really helpful. Uh, yeah. And I felt sturdy. I mean, because I thought it was going to be very emotional for me to go back and it was very um, satisfying for me to go back. It was really beautiful. Oh, and the teachers great. that we had were so great. Um, do you remember? So during that songwriting exercise, um, remember Kate from Cafe Vita? She yeah. sang a song. Oh my gosh, Sandra, this woman just oozes talent and creativity and loveliness. And she wrote, I wrote down a little, her little chorus right here. I'm looking in my notebook and it was really simple, but she, it was, so, it says, roll away, roll away my heart. I want to take you dancing, but the car won't start. Mm-hmm. And when I just wrote that down thinking, it was so simple and it said so much. And then she had all of these other beautiful words around it, but like, like longing is what I got from those mm-hmm. really simple four lines. And I just mm-hmm. loved it. That exercise was great. Um, all of them were. I was surprised and delighted by all of the teachers. And um, Absolutely. I had fun dancing to Bruce, the founder of Sub Pop Records DJ um, list that night. Yeah. I mean, so how many high school wounds, at least for me? <laughs> sober and dancing so so my friend who, who passed away um she she taught me how to go to concert sober mm. and it's been really difficult for me to do that so between Lebop's concert or the concert that, that several yeah. others participated in as well to, to hear that music and then to dance my butt off to yeah. hip-hop yeah. um you know and and amongst people like amongst people who were so cool and also maybe were like me in high school and they'll look a little bit on the outside maybe yeah um was really I mean it was just fun but it was really healing too it was awesome it was so I was a little nervous too to dance I think I showed up a little bit late um but it was I was sweating and exhausted and happy and smiling so big when it was all done. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like this yeah. beautiful release. Jen was a genius. How she orchestrated the whole weekend, clearly not her first rodeo since this is right. her 14th one. She really, from the time I went to write Dobe 2 to 14, she has it down now. You know, it was really, it was great. It was just lovely. And um, so are you you, you write your blog, which we have um, told our listeners about in the beginning. Um, when did you start your blog and, and where else do you share your writing? Yeah, so I started this most recent blog, um, Unexpected Expat, when shortly after Amy died was kind of when I needed to be writing again. Um, and then I shared it during, during the government shutdown, um, which was a hard and scary time. I mean, um, it, it just triggered some of the some of the insecurities I felt from from being a poor pastor's kid. So while we were, yeah, you know, while we were in an okay financial position, you know, some of the people around us, it's a government shutdown is scary and hard. <laughs> so, right, right. And so that was I, I had intended on my blog, um, you know, sort of making it perfect and polished and whatever. And that was the point where I hit publish and was like, okay, world, come see. So it's yeah. really only been around this this particular platform for me has only been around since November. Um, and I will say that there was that right there, there was a dynamic shift afterwards. I went to right there, to be, to be braver in my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the right there, was kind of the first place where I 
where I've shared outside my immediate circle that I'm a woman in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, obviously this podcast will be, will be very public yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I'm intending, I'm intending also to, to, I don't think my blog will become a recovery blog per se, but I don't think I'm going to be hiding, hiding the fact that I'm in, in recovery under a barrel anymore. Um, yeah. because yeah. it is such a part of my story. So, so that's where I'm writing right now. Um, and then I promised myself, um, in my, I'm calling it my 36 and 36, my, my list of things I'd like to experience this year. I told myself I was going to pitch five different writing opportunities in the course of this year. So awesome. I'm saying, I'm saying that out loud. I, <laughs> I put it on my blog, but now it's out there. Good. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but I know I'm going to, I'm going to at least pitch. Well, I know um, the temper. Have you pitched anything to the temper? They have not, but they are on the list. Okay. I highly encourage <laughs> yeah. you to do that because yeah, you're an expat. Right. I was going to say that you being an expat, that's a, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So. And then, you know, I was going to say the, the one place where I, I had written, cause for a long time I didn't write, or if I did, it was kind of the, what is it? Sandra, you talked about barstool brilliance a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was lots of that and not a lot of good writing. I will say that um, in, 20, in 2015, just before I got sober, the Twin Cities producers of Listen to Your Mother selected me um, to open up their, their show that year. It's, um, it's, a, it's a show of stories um, told in monologues um, by, by writers about motherhood. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a piece. I wrote a piece called Despite Everything um, that kind of told the story. It was the first time, that was the first time that I had publicly come out and said, I'm a child witness of domestic violence and we got through it and this is what it looks like now. And I watched um, that, Emily. It was beautiful. Absolutely thank you. Beautiful what you yeah. wrote. Absolutely. Do you, um, so, so, when we, so when we were at Right Dobey and J. Ryan Stradle, the author, was there, who wrote Kitchens of the Midwest, he talked about mm-hmm. writing female characters um, yeah. as, a, as a way to keep his mother's memory alive. And when I was yeah. watching you read your work, I was thinking, I know your, your mother is still alive, yes? Yeah, yeah, she is. But, but the way that you wrote it so kindly and to, to bear witness to um, what a good mom she was, is. Yeah, yeah. it is, is. And, and, you know, it's funny because the, the anecdote in that, in that piece and despite everything about, um, about the milk and it's, it, I would say it's probably worth watching <laughs> but the, yeah, really about good. the milk. I was going to say that I, that was always going to be the story I was going to tell at her funeral. And I decided it wasn't, that, it, that the story was ready to come out sooner than that. Um, and I've really been thinking a lot lately, you know, what, what's interesting me, interesting to me right now as an artist, as a writer is, um, is story and the power of story. And what does it mean to be telling my story mm-hmm. and how can that, how can that heal me? How can it heal others? And so I think that's, and I think that's where I'm going next is, is really, and I don't know what that looks like. This kind of came to me this morning in my morning pages of, of, I think my, my calling in the world is, is really connected to story. Um, I have no idea what that means yet. (laughs) 
But did you feel super supported and like that the whole environment of having an intense three or four days with this group of strangers? Like when you leave there, they do call it the dough bay, the dough bang over, they called it like the dough bay hangover and reentry can be kind of weird because you've just been so intimate with all of these people and you know, all of their, not all, but you know, a lot of their deep um, hurts and wounds and shame and the things they write about. Um, it's, uh, it does a number on you. How long did it take you to kind of, um, shake that off? Solid week and a half. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, um, (laughs) if if you end up at my blog, you'll see a piece, you'll see a piece called temporary human, um, about my experience. Cause I, I, you know, I, I stayed, I stayed together, but I came a little undone. You know, part of it was I had been on four transatlantic flights in the space of three weeks, which jet lag will do a number on anybody. Yeah. Um, but, and, and it's just such an intense time. Um, so physically I was exhausted, but my heart had been kind of, you know, splayed open in the best possible way. Um, and it, it was really hard. It was really hard. I, I cried all the way home. Yeah. Um, and and there was a moment in, in Amsterdam, you know, sitting in, on a layover in Amsterdam where I was like, I don't know if I want to come home. Um, you know, my husband and all of his wisdom said, well, you can always leave tomorrow. Why don't, why don't you, why don't you come home and just see? Right. And so I did. <laughs> and then I stayed. Yeah, I, I started um, crying as soon as the plane took off from Orcas Island, from that little tiny plane that I was on. Not because it was a plane, um, because I get stressed out about that, but just all of a sudden the experience, I would just realize what I just left. And I left kind of abruptly because I was having so much panic and anxiety about the flight. I had to quickly leave. I took a really quick picture with you. I didn't say goodbye to anybody except for Lee Bob and you. And um, Jen, Casey, and Carrie gave me my key outside. They give you this beautiful kind of vintage key, Sandra, and they present it to you and say a few words. And I, I, mine was about two weeks. I was in this phase of checking my phone incessantly to see if anybody from Right to Obey had posted anything um, to find that connection again, to see what everybody was up to. Um, And to basically, yeah, you come home and you kind of like, so I feel like I want to blow up my life a little bit and I want to do all the things I've always dreamed of. (laughs) And I'm kind of that aftermath right now. And just the shift that happened was not just about writing something there for me. It's just the whole experience and living a creative life and yeah. really beautiful. I'm so happy that you got that scholarship and I'm so glad you said yes and that you did what it took. Right. To yeah. Cause it's one thing to like apply for a scholarship and then you get it and you're like, Oh shit. Now I've got to like actually get, you really had to do some work to get there. So that's impressive. Yeah. And you know, the, I don't know if you'd already left by then Tammy, but we, we wrote cards to ourselves of like our commitments as we were closing the workshop and I committed my, you know, the thing I realized that's been missing in my life, I've had, I've had online creative community um, with the Unruffled group, but I haven't had real life, you know, sort of real time community. Um, And so I I made that a commitment to myself. And I overcame just a touch of anxiety yesterday, and went to a writer's meetup here. Um, I love it. How'd it go? mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was it was good. I'll be going back. Um, it was, it was, you know, I didn't really know what to expect, but here's the thing. I didn't die. I enjoyed the time. (laughs) And so, um, 
and the people the people were nice and so and they were english they all speak english or how, how does that work there so the common language is english but right. no most of yeah. them so there's two languages here it's it's well there's technically three but in the brussels area it's dutch and french mm-hmm. um and i have pleasant french barely and about three words in dutch um right. so people are very kind but it's a very it's a um it's a city full of expats and so the common language is often english um you know if not french and right. so you know yeah made it happen you're just making it work that is so that is so cool i i love writing groups um they're my favorite <laughs> because there's accountability there's um uh, you know, if it's the kind that's set up to where you can give feedback, there's that. I think feedback's invaluable. I love how, it. How long have you been in your writing group, Sandra? Uh, on and off since I got sober. So oh, for wow. like almost five years. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. Great. Oh, Emily, we, is there anything else that we have missed here? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but that's something that you wanted to share or where people can find your, your writing or, um, Anything that we've missed that you want to share? I don't know that there's anything they missed, you missed, but I'm, you know, I'm always open to connections because especially this, this expat thing, right? It can get a little lonely to be, to be the sober girl in the room. Um, right. That's probably more... the, the non-glamorous side of being an expat <laughs> is it probably does get a little lonely, right? It, it has been for me and, and particularly so um, the foreign service community um, I think is perhaps even a little bit more um, quiet. If there are folks in recovery, I certainly don't know who they are. Um, so, so I'm I'm here. I'm I'm um, I'm gonna be speaking my my story um, more bravely. I made that commitment. Um, so yeah. So if folks want to find me either um, at my blog, which is unexpectedexpat.com. Um, and my contact information's on there. If anybody ever wants to drop me an email, that'd be great. Um, always up for virtual coffee dates or in real life if you find yourself in Brussels. Um, and then, you know, I'm pretty active on Instagram, although certainly not as active as others. Um, and I'm at EC, EC Cornell. Um, and that's a fun place too, to, to connect with folks and, and share little slices of life. Um, and then hopefully I'll be in a couple more places too, but I got to go pitch them. <laughs> yeah, do. And, and, and inside the Unruffled group, um, feel free to share that link to um, the talk that I watched that you gave what, and the title, I'm sorry, Despite Everything, when you were reading that. Oh, yeah. Feel free to link that after we post your episode. Um, feel free to link that underneath so people can watch it or anything, a link to your blog. Like we'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah, we'll some, put some of some of your things. Notes. Yeah, 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 for sure. But we loved what I wanted to say when I was looking at our page, and I know in summertime, I'll get more active on there, but um, so that people can interact underneath the episode for our listeners that are listening, like if you want to interact and you want to be part of the conversation, ask to be part of the Unruffled Facebook group. And then when we post the weekly episode, most, most of our interviewees are in our group, so they can answer questions or if there was something that resonated with you about Emily's story, you can, you can start a conversation there. And if Emily doesn't see it or if she's off Facebook for a while, Sandra or I will respond or say something or, or get in touch or try to find an answer. So feel free to do that. Yeah. Well, we're at the fun part of the show now, Emily. Mm-hmm. Really fun. I did my homework. I knew you would. See? 
this is the part of the show where we share, uh, have our um, guests share three tools in their unruffled toolbox that is helping them either with their sobriety or their creativity or what's really that you're digging right now. And so what are your three things, Emily? Yeah. So the first is, is morning pages and that's a practice that's newer to me, although it's not a new practice. Um, but I started it probably in January and I'd, I'd say I show up most days to, to my pages. Um, just to, you know, clear up tumbleweeds and, and really it's about, for me, it's about the discipline of practice and keeping my writing muscles moving. Um, and is I, that freehand? Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a beautiful journal my, my um, stepfather gave me and I get up and do three pages. I'm going to interject one thing about morning pages. I really want to get back to them because I am working on a big writing piece right now. And I went back and looked at, uh, I did morning pages. I was, I had just celebrated my year of sobriety. And so I did them pretty consistently for about eight months. And I just want to say that that was a joy to go back. I was so glad that I had that to go back and look at. Um, because a lot of it was just sort of brain dump, but it was so interesting to see where I was at, at that time. Um, a lot of it was just mundane, mundane thoughts, um, you know, grievances against my husband that day or whatever, but, <laughs> but it was really interesting to go back and look at those. I was, it was kind of, it's kind of a treasure. And so I need to get back to morning pages, what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Number two. So, the, <laughs> number two, um, exercise, but exercise with other people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, ah. I have figured out for me, and, and what I do is I have a walking buddy that I walk in the woods with once a week. Um, and she is just a dear, dear, she's become a dear, dear friend um, here. And we walk together with, with her pup and, um, it's so good for my soul, but I also take some classes some group fitness classes, which I never thought I'd be that person. Um, actually at our, our, the local army installation, there's a, um, military spouse who volunteers her time and gives classes. And I love the accountability. I love the community. I love the endorphin rush. And if you've ever faced a Belgian winter, it's kind of like a Seattle winter, like, get your body moving. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it's really about exercise and community for me. I can't, I do exercise on my own, but it's just so much better if it's with somebody else. Um, and so the third thing is I, you know, Skype or Google Hangouts. I actually use Google Hangouts more often than Skype or FaceTime. Um, but to me, that has been a huge recovery tool for me. Um, whether that's speaking once a week with my, with my buddy from the unruffled group or, um, you know, speaking with a woman from back in Minneapolis, um, about recovery, you know, that, that is indispensable to me. And I think for anybody who finds themselves in a remote situation, I know there's, there's, you know, folks getting sober in small towns or whatever, like you can find your person and you can set up virtual coffee dates. Um, and it's a little awkward at first and then you kind of got to get used to the webcam, but, um, and it certainly doesn't, doesn't replace in-person contact, but it comes pretty close. Oh, that's such a great tool mm, yeah. yep. that we can do that now. It's with such ease. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's been a lifesaver. Oh, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today about all manner of things. 
Yes, Thanks. it was. It was lovely talking to you, Emily. Yeah, and for having Thank you for the art exchange and for meeting you at Dobe. Like, I just love all the intersections, and it just that's what keeps happening in this recovery community, right? We just keep intersecting and meeting different people and expanding our our um, our little network of of um, sober people, not not just women, but but humans. Yeah. Well, I loved, I loved meeting you and we love chatting with you this morning and have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye guys. The Unruffled podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers, Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.